text in questions of a legal nature. Get them in as soon as possible. We've got a lot to get through. A uh, number of topics we want to get to. Let's get to the legal hour. Legal hour on Drive Live. Now, Ali Al-Assad is back. You know what? It's been quite a while since we've seen you. Welcome back. Nice to see you. Thank you for having me, Adam. Very welcome. So, uh, generally speaking, Ludmilla is here, but we've got rid of her this week. It's uh, The floor is yours, Alex. It's nice to have you here. Um, questions of a legal nature, not just property. It could be of an employment nature, perhaps. That's uh, another uh, angle we could cover today. It's uh, really a very open hour. Touch, uh, get in touch with us, 4001, via the free app, or 423-1010. Ali is here to answer those questions. Now, the topic today is, this is a really hard thing to cover there's so much to this but we'll go through this i think step by uh step as agreeing on settlement over distribution of the estate once somebody uh passes on documentation of settlements before the personal status court the implications of the settlements let's break that down and start with this uh ali if we can just run through this it's a topic that comes up regularly we try to cover it regularly because uh, there is so much involved what happens upon the death of a non-Muslim who does not have a will? What is, and I know this is a long, open-ended question, but what's the actual process you'd be expected to follow when you go to the court to try and sort things out? So basically, the reason why we are discussing this topic in, uh, today, because as we know that since the DIFC registry for wills was established, a lot of people start to like to have more comfort about how their assets will be disposed in the future upon the death. Right. However, till now we see situations where you have someone who unfortunately passed away without leaving a will. Mm. And usually that's what we see a lot from clients or like people who approach our office for advice is that sometimes like we have someone who passed away, we are not Muslims, we have property like the part the person who passed away have properties in Dubai and now we heard that this will be ruled under Sharia. Mm. Is that true or what can we do about it? So basically, if you go to the first uh, two levels at the court, basically, yes, everything when it comes to properties, it will be ruled under Sharia unless you have a will registered at the DIFC. But this is not the end of the story. Because the one of the situations that we, all, we always face that someone come to us, for example, like a man who have a spouse, a son and a daughter. His parents are not alive anymore and he doesn't have any sisters or brothers. Mm. And usually they t- come to us like, we have property. I want to know how I can avoid Sharia upon my death because I want to apply my own uh, country law. Or for example, like I want to give equal shares to my wife, my son, or my daughter. The main idea that people usually come with it, that Sharia will distribute their assets against their will, which is not true. Because what, we, what can happen sometimes? We have a person who died, and you have, like for example, like the heirs are his father, his son, his daughter, and his wife. Sharia will have a set uh, share for each one of these stuff of these uh, heirs, but it's not the end of the story. What ha- what should happen? The person died. You proceed to the Dubai courts and you open a tri- case for inheritance of non-Muslims. You will have a case number. You will have meetings. You have to attend with the judge. Upon identifying who are the heirs, let's say these four people we mentioned, these people, one of them at least, can proceed with filing an application with the Dubai courts saying we need to have a settlement over these uh, over the assets of the deceased in this situation there will be a, a meeting uh, arranged for all the heirs to appear in front of a judge and give a statement which means let's say sharia will give for example for the son the double share of the daughter if the daughter and the son will appear together in front of the judge and they will say we would like to split our share equally the judge will approve it which means in this situation 
the heirs can meet together, decide exactly by details how they want to distribute the assets, which means we bring like four uh, uh, four uh, heirs. Let's say these are the only heirs. They will appear in front of the judge and they will tell him, for example, like this property will go to heir A, this property will go to heir B, this company will be given to heir C, and this bank account will go to the heir number D, name D. I just wanted to jump in there for a moment because one of the things when uh, somebody dies and when inheritance matters uh, come into play, it's very often the fact that it is you're dealing with grieving for uh, a relative who has mm-hmm. uh, passed away, who has died. That's one side of it. You then have to deal with the, you know, the very real but lengthy process of legal uh, proceedings in some instances. Mm-hmm. And that is very often frightening. Uh, isn't it for people because you're dealing with you know the courts you're dealing with judges but the point you're making here is just uh, appear uh, and deal with it as as best you can that's the point it's not something uh, Ali to be uh, afraid of yeah even there is a simpler way for it because I understand that especially a lot of people they've never been to court like, sure. and some people like the idea of going to court is a bit like worrying or like something new so what can happen in this situation like if, if each one of the heirs will give a power of attorney to a lawyer or to any individual they trust who can represent them in this process, especially if we're talking about lawyers, because lawyers, they have this stuff on daily basis, so they know the system, so they can help them a lot in this situation. So what what can happen? Each one of the heirs should give a power of attorney to a representative, let's say, for example, as a lawyer, and this lawyer can process the entire matter from A to Z on behalf of the heirs. There's just one situation where the heirs have to appear where they give the first statement to the judge saying, for example, let's say... uh, uh, for example, a father or a brother or a relative passed away, they will acknowledge in front of the judge that, yes, we we acknowledge that this guy passed away and his heirs are one, two, three, four, that they enumerate the people. The judge from there, he will issue something called cer- certificate of succession. At that time, if there is a power of attorney given to anybody, the heirs does not have to appear in front of the judge anymore. Okay. Well, well, there's a lot more to talk about here because this is, uh, I guess, the simplest case. This is when yep. things go uh, according to plan, but within the family, uh, first of all, which isn't always the case. Lots of questions coming in about this. Uh, no surprises there. We'll come back and ask you this in a moment. What if the person has a will from their home country? How does that count? We'll think about that in a few moments' time. The implications, we're talking about uh, inheritance currently, but if you have a legal question, 4001 via the free app or 423-1010, our guest today is is Ali Al-Assad on the legal hour from Yamalava and Plethka. This is Drive Live on Dubai I 103.8. It's Drive Live and it is the legal hour. Legal hour on Drive Live. Ali Al-Assad is here from Yamalava and Plethka uh, legal consultants this afternoon answering questions if you have something 4001 the free app or 421010 to call. Lots of questions in. We've been mm. talking about inheritance. Uh, first of all, Claire, there's one here from Rahul. I think it is. Uh, yes, Raul is uh, one of several people who have messaged in on this particular um, topic. And he wants to know about how the different uh, amounts, how does Sharia law divide it between the different heirs? Because we were just talking about the fact that the heirs could agree to share it. But mm-hmm. if they don't agree, how would those portions uh, be attributed um, between, for example, he says a brother, a father, a mother or a sister? How does Sharia law distribute property? So just to repeat, who are the heirs? Father... He's just using an example. Mm-hmm. For example, if you have a son or daughter or wife and a brother and a father and a mother. Okay, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's just sort of talking in mm-hmm. general. What should we expect? And you were telling us, Ali, a story about uh, uh, somebody who's worried 
that uh, his wife and child mm-hmm. wouldn't get everything. Mm-hmm. So maybe if you could t- tell us where it starts. Yeah. So basically, just to uh, uh, like let people calm down, as long as the, the deceased person have a father or a son, none of the brother and sisters or uncles will get anything. Because the moment you have a male in the chain of inheritance, which is either your like father or your grandfather or your son, then everything will go to your first uh, uh, first layer of uh, heirs. Nothing will he, grow beyond. But if he has a daughter, mm-hmm. a wife and a daughter, then then the brothers can take some okay. of it. Or and let's take the example where we have a man who died with a spouse, one son, one daughter, father and mother. Okay, in this situation, upon the death, the wife share will be one eighth of the inheritance. The father will get one sixth. The mother will get one sixth. And the rest, if you have one son and one daughter, will be divided over three. Two shares will go to the son, and one share will go to the daughter. Okay, but as you said earlier, if you appear when you appear in front of the judge in mm-hmm. the first instance, the the brother and sister, for example, in this mm-hmm. instance, mm-hmm. could agree to share, divide it equally. Even more, let's say these five heirs will appear in front of the okay. judge, and they will say, "Wanna divide everything equally, twenty percent to everybody." Judge will be fine. Okay. Any type of agreement they reach between each other, ninety-nine percent, the judge will approve it. So that's the various ways, and I know you were saying it's quite complex, depends on w- the, the combination of the heirs, if you like, in terms of what Sharia will, will rule. Uh, so Fitzpatrick is asking, and I think this is what probably a lot of people would want to know, is what if the person has a will from their own home country which, uh, that says they want to divide it in a different way? Will that count here? According to our best knowledge, if you have a foreign will properly attested and no one of the, of the heirs will challenge it, for non-movable, sorry, for movable assets, you're fine. But for the properties, you might be sent again to be under Sharia, and therefore the system of the DIFC will was established. So in this situation, as long as you have already movable, uh, sorry, properties in Dubai, mm. if you want to make a will in Dubai, better to include all your assets under it to avoid having two wills that may contradict each other sometimes. Okay, and that's the point that you need to get across. That's a very important thing to remember. If you own a property here, this is something that you should have considered before buying. If you haven't considered that, that's something you need to do something about. Exactly. Okay. Uh, Questions in on 4001. Uh, We'd like to hear from you today. Lots that we need to get to. Um, I want to come back to uh, more about how uh, inheritance works uh, with you, Ali, because there are so many different facets to this. Uh, Sharia law is the only applicable law for the inheritance of real estate properties. Is there any other uh, alternative distribution scheme available? What powers uh, do heirs have in that specific regard? So basically, if we focus on the issue of properties, the default law is Sharia. Yes. Unless we have two other options. Either the DIFC will registered and properly in place, where you, ma- yeah. where you mention your heirs. And the second one, if all the heirs will appear in front of the judge as distrust, and uh, they agree together on a different scheme of distribution. Right. That's the situation where you can, uh, without a will, allocate the shares the way how you want, provided that all shares, all heirs are agreeing on it. Let's go back to the text line. Yeah, there's uh, a couple Claire. of really interesting ones coming in, actually, yeah. Tim. So just to move away from our main topic, which we can come back to if anybody wants to know more about that. But here's one from uh, Mohammed. He says, I don't know if I've got any rights here, but a guy owes me money. The only proof I have is WhatsApp messages um, referring to it. What are my legal options of recovery? So basically, WhatsApp messages have good credibility before the court. It can be proven wrong sometimes, but in general, if you have something on WhatsApp, you have the first level from which you can start. 
So he, d- he could at least start a case yeah. using that. Good to hear. And also it depends on the amount. How big is it? Because different amounts have different levels of proof. Okay, I hope that helps you, Mohammed. In, in what way and what kind of level? What's the difference in proof? For, exa- for example, like for certain amounts, you can prove it just if you have a witness. Certain amounts, you need something in writing to document it. Otherwise, it won't be heard. Okay. And WhatsApp can qualify as some kind of written proof. In written proof, yeah. Uh, another one here from George. If an employment letter, offer letter from an international company headquartered in Europe contradicts a local Dubai employment contract, will the offer letter be recognised as legally binding under Dubai employment law? Basically, whenever we have anything uh, from abroad or internally made, let's say, a side agreement or an offer letter from abroad, if this contradiction is in f- uh, contradict the UAE law in a way it favor the employee, it will apply here. In the event it does not favor the employee, the court will ignore it. Okay, questions to Ali Al-Assad from Yamalava and Plethka this afternoon. The legal hour uh, is ongoing. Another half an hour. Get the questions in as early as possible because it does always tend to uh, get pretty busy as we come up to six o'clock. So half an hour more with Ali. We've got lots to get through. Uh, drop them to us as quickly as you possibly can. Um, and if there's any issue traffic-wise, just add uh, AJ there. It looks pretty good. Uh, agree about the traffic. Still on the way to uh, Ajman. That's been very difficult today. Hopefully that's going to abate a little bit as Ramadan continues. But if there's anything going on, we'll update the traffic in a few minutes' time. Drop us a quick text. If it's safe to text us, 4001 or via the free app or call. Esther is at the phones today, 423-1010. No matter your preferred communication, stay in touch with Drive Live. Only on Dubai Eye. 103.8. 103.8. Today, this afternoon, it is the Legal Hour. Our guest is Ali Al-Assad. Legal Hour on Drive Live. He is from Yamalaba and Plethka, legal consultants. George texted earlier on, uh, Ali, you answered the question. Just let me read the first text just to remind you. If an employment offer letter from an international company headquartered in Europe contradicts a local Dubai employment contract, will the offer letter be recognised as legally binding under Dubai employment law? The answer to that was... The idea, whatever comes from abroad or from internally, contradicting the labor law or any labor contract here, if it does not favor the employee, it won't be considered. In the event, this, uh, let's say, document that contradicts the contract here or contradicts the law here, add more benefits to the employee, the court may, uh, there's a good chance the court will acknowledge it. Okay. So, so George texts back, Claire. He has texted back in and he says, can I just check then that the, if the counsel was that if the offer letter does not favor the employee, then only the Dubai employment contract will be legally binding. So I guess his letter doesn't favour the employee is what he's saying. So does that mean that his employment contract overrides it? Basically, in general terms, yes, because here we have two arguments. First of all, that there is something that contradicts what is agreed in the country here based on what we can challenge it. Second of all, usually have the contract that always comes after the offer letter and therefore we can qualify it as an amendment to the offer letter. Okay. okay, so George, hopefully that answers your question. If you have a question for Ali, you can text it through on 4001 or the free app. Now, uh, hi, how does Sharia law rule on the custody of children? We've been talking about inheritance uh, this afternoon, but the custody of children after the death uh, of the father uh, or mother, or I guess Ashwin is asking uh, if uh, the worst happened them both. Yeah. So basically the def- default rule in Sharia when it comes to the custody, especially if we are talking about kids who are below 12 or 13 years old, right. it always goes to the mother or to the first, uh, the closer female from her side. This is the default rule. However, in the event we have any issues with the family, for example, someone who's not qualified or someone who have, like, for example, let's say a bad record, other, uh, pl- other plans will apply, other uh, situations. We may face it where, for example, it will be taken not to the first skin, maybe to the second skin or maybe to the father's side. 
Okay, and you could, I guess, uh, as a family, come together and uh, make a case for uh, an alternative arrangement if you appear in front of the judge? Basically, let's say, for example, physically the kids will end up uh, in the hands of, let's say, their grandmother from their mother's side, and none of the other uh, from the family father's side family will challenge it. It's fine, like no one will interfere. Uh, just appear whenever someone challenges. What what happens if uh, if something happens to both parents um, and the the rest of the family are abroad? Because obviously there's a lot of expats here. Because um, you do hear horror stories of the children sort of being in some limbo in the interim period, and that it's there's a document I think you can get drawn up if you want one of your friends or uh, a certain person if you want to nominate a certain person to be the guardian of your child if that awful circumstance uh, the situ- occurs. The situation we know in general, whenever let's say we have a death event where there's like minor, especially minor kids alone, the authorities will take care of them until someone of the family will come and like someone who have eligibility to handle them will take care of them. So they will be in the hands of the authorities. So there's no sort of uh, uh, official or legal document you can do that names other people as guardians here you can see it in wills sometimes however mm-hmm. there is a concept but i cannot tell you that it apply every time but there is sure. a concept that whatever like the uh, especially when it comes to the custody of the kids that whatever the parents agree on the judge may challenge it or may uh, shift away of it because the idea here is to protect the kid what if the parents agree on something that doesn't make sense for the judge or something like they are giving the kids to for someone who maybe like does not be seem to be like uh, reliable or trustworthy mm. with this stuff. So it's a case-by-case case basis. So the authority have the right to shift okay. away of it. Okay, here's a question for you. Legal out question, no name on this. What wills can be registered for properties in Sharjah for specifically non-Muslims, uh, Ali? Uh, so far, we know that the DIFC system, uh, the wills of the DIFC applies to properties in Dubai and to properties in Ras al-Khaimah. When it comes to properties in Abu Dhabi, recently there was some uh, declaration from the authorities there that they are about or they already established some kind of a similar registry for wills for non-Muslims. When it comes to Sharjah, as we know, there is no such system yet. Plus for Sharjah, as I know, that the freehold is a bit limited for expatriates. So I don't know if there will be enough cases for such system to be established there. Okay. Um, And Thomas is asking a question. This is more for, uh, I guess, confirmation uh, for him. Is the DIFC issued will 100% legal here in the UAE? I mean, it's not signed by Dubai courts, but just to confirm that for him. So so basically, from the time it was initiated, till now we didn't see any problem with the DIFC will. Uh, on a different topic here, one from Mark. He says, can a company stop a contractual allowance or benefit? Uh, what if the contract contains a clause stating that the company can make changes to the contract? For example, he's referring to educational allowance. So can they suddenly decide that they're going to stop paying your education allowance, for example? In general, whenever we have an employment contract, the terms are agreed between the parties. Any amendments need to be approved by both parties. Otherwise, it will qualify as a breach. Except one situation. Sometimes you will see a contract, for example, saying like we'll pay education allowance just for the first year and second year to be agreed between the, the parties. This will be a different scenario. I have a real estate agent. A security check didn't go uh, through with the property because I didn't go through with the property, I guess. The landlord was happy to return the check. She isn't giving them, uh, sorry, the real estate agent, I guess this is, isn't giving me the check back and is asking for 50% of the commission in order to return the check. Obviously, this person wanted to rent somewhere, decided not to. The real estate agent is saying, give me half. That isn't legal, or is it? So basically here, there is two points to tackle. First of all, I believe the check is in the name of the landlord. However, it's in the hand of the broker. It seems to be the case, Which yeah. means the broker is holding it just as a pressure against the tenant. Yeah. So basically, like, the broker cannot do anything with it, cannot cash it. So as long as the landlord is not willing to 
support the broker, you are fine. Like they cannot touch this chat. Certain point is we need to check your agreement with the broker. For example, if it include any clauses about compensation for the broker in the event uh, like the sale doesn't go through or the rent doesn't go through. Yeah. So for this one, if uh, you agreed on compensating or paying any type of, uh, let's say, damages or like a partial commission, even if the sale doesn't go through, then you have to pay it. But for this one, we need to see the contract to be able to answer accurately. Okay, I'm assuming we've got that right there. From the, It seems to be from the text that came in, we have. If you're uh, listening now thinking that wasn't what I meant, let us know, uh, and we'll pose the question to Ali uh, once again. But that seems to be the answer. Um, another one just come in here from Fitzpatrick, uh, who says, if someone's made redundant and they have a loan and their end of service payout can't cover the full balance, is there any statute that protects unemployed people, especially expats, because some people might struggle to get another job and have no other options? So outstanding debts. So by law now we have two separate transactions. We have an employment contract between employee and employer, and we have a loan agreement between an individual and a bank. This relationship does not uh, get connected to each other. So what will happen usually? You get fired or redundant or whatever termination you receive. Your end of service will be transferred to the bank. And at that time, the company will label your transfer as end of service. What will happen in this situation? If the amount of the end of service does not cover your loan, we recommend that you run to the bank and explain to them what's happening and try to get some time from them. They will seize your amount. But before they cash your checks or initiate any police case against you for bouncing the security check they have, you can, if you can get, for example, any grace period from the bank until you, you sort a new employment. In your experience, do the banks give that grace period? Uh, I mean, obviously it's about communication, so go warn them, don't just get caught out. But in your experience, do they tend to give a grace period? Basically, if you see like all banks, they use, uh, not all banks, like some banks, they use like the security check they have in their hands. It's a very powerful tool to put pressure However, like at the end of the day, you see that if the bank will okay lock you in jail, what benefit they will get? For them, the the benefit is to get the money. So I believe any reasonable person in a bank, if they see that, for example, you are a poten- you have a good potential to get another job, I'm not gonna say that they will release your end of service, but at least they will they will withhold any police case to be initiated against you. But this is will require a very tough negotiation with the bank. It's interesting that. What happens if uh, the bank does get to a point, uh, or anybody uh, you've bounced a check against, and it gets to the point where you are uh, jailed? What happens to the debt uh, once that happens? Basically, let's say someone bounced a check. Uh, the matter will be reported to the police. From police, you will be transferred to prosecution. Prosecution will press charges and transfer you to the court. Right. Let's say you get a judgment for two, year, two months in jail, for example. You will go to jail, you will serve your two months, and you are a free man. Okay, but your um, debt. But will you still the, have the debt? Yeah, the, the yeah, debt because, is still there. because here there is two parts. The, server, the chat have two parts. First of all, bouncing the chat itself is a crime, regardless whether the amount is due or not. Okay. Just bouncing the chat. Later, you have the civil part, which is the debt itself. So what usually happen? Uh, the beneficiary of the chat will cash it, will report it to police. You will get jail, two months in jail. You're done. But the money is not paid. So what will happen? The beneficiary of the chat will take the criminal judgment against you, support it with the chat, and file a civil case. And the main proof in the civil case is that you've been in jail, which means the check bounced. Plus there he have to uh, make uh, another proof that the money is due already. Mm. That And this due is not, for example, let's say a fake debt or some kind of uh, scam or any fraud uh, transaction. In the event the court will see that the amount is really due, they will give him a civil judgment. For example, let's say the check was 100,000 dirham. He will have a civil judgment against you for 100,000 dirham. Once the judgment is final, he can initiate the process of enforcement. For enforcement, he need to look to your assets, seize them, auction them. If there is no assets, he has the right to request from the court to arrest you until you pay. 
So the same j- chat may take you to jail twice. I mean, you know, it's still a very difficult situation to get your head around because if you're in jail, how are you going to earn the money to pay off the debt? You see it a lot. And uh, because of that, uh, sometimes you see a lot of, like, for example, charity organization or funds, they volunteer to pay some chats on behalf of people just like to release them from jail because sometimes it's like a vicious circle. You're never going to get out of it. Exactly yeah. the right word. It is a vicious circle. Mm. Okay, questions for Ali Al-Assad from Mimanova and Pleska. We have another 10 minutes or so. If there is something you'd like to know, free legal advice is uh, generally the phrase we use. We've got lots of questions uh, to get to. A couple of questions from last week that we didn't get to that we'll put to you uh, in a few moments, Ali. But usual numbers apply, 4001, the free app. We want to hear from you. Find us on Facebook. Tweet at Dubai I 1038FM. Stripe Live, it is the legal hour. Questions to 4001, the free app is available as well. You can text for no money or call us 423. 31010. Legal Hour on Drive Live. Ali Al-Assad is here answering your questions from Yamalava and Pletka. Uh, we were talking about inheritance earlier on, trying to dispel some of the myths, get to uh, what actually happens, what the process uh, is uh, here in the UAE. Question came in from Adnan. Yeah, lots and lots of messages coming in on this topic. So thank you for all of those. 4001 if you still want to get yours in. Adnan asks, what will happen to bank balances in the case of someone dying if there is no will? Basically, the way how it starts, let's say we have a person who passed away and he have a bank account. Whenever you file at the court to distribute the inheritance, you have to mention to the court that he have XYZ bank account. From there, the court will communicate with the bank and instruct them uh, to transfer the money to the court account in the event this account is owned just by this person who passed away. In the event, let's say we have a joint owned account where, for example, let's say there is husband and wife. In this situation, the court instruction to the bank will be to split the money in half, transfer half of the amount which is belonging to the deceased person to the court, and the other half will be released to the wife. Okay. Uh, somebody just texted back and said we were talking about one specific instance of a real estate agent trying to get uh, 50% mm-hmm. of a deposit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the right thing, so we can leave that one there. Uh, thank you for the answer, Ali, as well. Ahmed's texting in, uh, Muslim family. Uh, let me see. Three, wife, son, and daughter. How would a property be divided in that instance? Just wife, son, and daughter. If wife, there is no parents, in this situation, the wife will get one-eighth. Later, later, the remaining you divided on three. Two-thirds will go to the son, and one-third will go to the daughter. Okay. What, did, what about in the instance that uh, the children are young, uh, there are no grandparents or uh, any other family, but, you know, too young to sit in mm-hmm. front of a judge and say, well, you know, I would divide this equally. Mm-hmm. What, what happens in that instance? In this situation, basically, because uh, let's say if we have an orphan kid, in general, uh, and that's the good question, because we always hear some confusion uh, between the people about guardianship and custody. Mm. Here we have to differentiate. Custody is the person who's physically taking care of the child, which mainly goes to the mother's side or like her family. While we have the guardian, the guardian is always the father or the closest kin from the side of the father. Okay, so let's say we have someone who passed away. He have a uh, son who's like, let's say, five years old. The guardian of the son, let's say, for example, it will be his grandfather or, for example, his older brother. Let's say if you have a major brother who's like uh, over 21 years old, this this person will be the guardian. But whenever you are the guardian, this doesn't give you the full right to dispose the assets of the of the person you are uh, observing. Mm. In this situation, any transaction you have to do, you have to get a special permit from the judge. So if the court, for example, will... Uh, give, let's uh, take an example, for example. Uh, you have a wife and a husband... Uh, sorry, a hu- wife, a son, uh, or let's say two brothers. Okay, two young brothers. Mm. If we dispute the inheritance, for example, let's say we have two similar villas. Each one of them will have half of the villa which means we'll end up with two title deeds. Each title deed have the names of both. So 
in the event you want to transfer it in a way, for example, you approve the you approach the judge to make it like one villa for each person, just to simplify the matter. We don't see the judge objecting to it. But in the event you ask for permission to transact over the villa of the kid by giving both villas to one kid and leave the other one without anything, most probably the judge won't give you the permission. I was going to say, I mean, what you're looking to is is the reasonable nature of it's, the it's judge fairness. in each case. Exactly. Okay. Uh, any more questions, Claire? Yes, couple of questions there are. In? Sanjeev uh, asks a gratuity question. Um, Hi Ali, I have an employment contract that has my UK start date as a continuous service date, 2005 he's put in brackets. In terms of end of service benefits, should this be the date that is used to pay my gratuity? So basically just we need confirmation whether like 2005 were your uh, start of employment in the UK or in Dubai or in UAE. Because your end of service will count only for the period you spend in the UAE. He says my UK start date, so I'm assuming that he's moved company. So the gratuity will only be from the moment, the date that he started employment here. In the UAE, exactly. Okay, thank okay. you. Okay. Um, how much does it cost to register a will in the AFC, and what if there is no will registered? What happens to assets owned in Dubai by a husband, wife, uh, expat, non-Muslim? Thank you. So basically for the registration of the will, it's 15000 uh, at the DIFC and the event there is no will you will go to the situation where we discussed at the yeah. beginning which is like you apply Sharia uh, sorry if there is no properties you can request the re- application of your own law if there is properties you can request your own law but properties will be exempted and must probably will be subject to Sharia okay lots of questions coming in this is always the case uh, late we'll run through these kind of quickly but it, we were talking during the break actually trying to dispel some of the myths around you know the mm. bank account mm. the freezing mm-hmm. uh, thing Owen Texan says uh is it true that if a man dies, then his accounts are all frozen, the wife and children have no access to funds for daily living? That's a question mark. Such a common scare story, this That's one, isn't it? the scare it? story that everybody hears, but it isn't the case. Honestly, I heard such stories, but in our practice, this, we didn't face it yet. Yeah. It okay. might be there, but we didn't face it by ourselves. Okay, and you're, you've been here for some time, uh, Ali. Well, that, I mean, <laughs> it depends as well how the bank would find out that somebody had passed away and what the situation is there, isn't it? But uh, you do hear these stories where bank accounts are frozen but they don't automatically know when somebody's passed away right yeah recently we're uh, dealing with a case where there's inheritance and we are the one who told the bank like the person passed away that's when we got the court is uh, ordered for the bank to transfer the money to the court right okay um uh, lebanese french parents two children what do we need to do to ensure the custody of our children goes to the right people in case of uh, an accident something happened to us do we need a local plus a French, plus a Lebanese will, would that be enough? Thanks, with an exclamation mark. Back to the point, like, you can have a will in this situation, but again, as long as the parties here, you are agreeing not over an asset, you are agreeing over the kid, which is a human being. So in this situation, no matter what you agree, if the if any other party will challenge it, or the judge will see by himself that uh, your agreement, for example, you are giving the kid to someone who is not qualified, the judge may ignore the will. Okay, final questions today. Claire, are you following these? Adjay's text. Yeah, it's one, quite two, a long three, question to get into, but there is a shorter four. one from Farah which we can just fit in, and Adjay will get to yours maybe next week, do you think, Tim? It's quite a long one to get into now. But Farah has said, I resigned from completing a year in my company. The employment agreement stipulates that they can deduct relocation expenses, visa accommodation, air ticket, etc., if the employee leaves voluntarily in less than a year. According to UAE labour law, can they do that? Basically, the visa cost and the relocation cost and the ticket to fly in the country, none of that can be recovered from the employee, which means even if your contract has such a clause and you sign it, this clause is invalid. 
Farah? That's good to know because I think that's a quite common uh, stipulation, for us. So, no, they have no right to do that. Okay, that's good news. Uh, final question for you. It's a joint bank account. Uh, I've just lost it there. Loads of questions coming in <laughs> as we finish, as is usual. Uh, it's a joint bank account case where half goes to the court. Does this apply to non-Muslim expats as well? Some yeah, this apply good. as we know. We, the, uh, the last case over the bank account we had it was a non-Muslim and the same decision was made by the court. Okay, we've got time for one more. We could do it really, really quickly. Uh, husband in Abu Dhabi made redundant just before the end of six-month probation. Contract says no holidays, but company contract says holidays are accrued. Is he due any holiday pay? If there is uh, anything in the contract, because the law basically for the first six months, you don't earn any vacations. In the event the contract provides for something better for the employee, let's say there is a company who is very generous and they say you are entitled for vacation from month number one, then yes, you have the right to claim it. Okay. Gosh, well done answering that so quickly. That's, uh, <laughs> that's why he's here. <laughs> he said, did you notice that he had to speak a lot quicker because we can see the clock ticking. So many questions. Thank you very much it's for uh, all the of way. them. So it is. Uh, Ajay's just texted in. Thanks. We'll take it up next week. Ajay, we'll keep your number. We'll give you a call. There's just a lot to go through there. This is all about It's a good topic, package. though. A good topic. It is. So we'll come back to that. Today, uh, Ali Al-Assad, uh, here for the Legal Hour. Ali, it's always good to have you here. Really appreciate you coming in. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you.